Everyone, welcome again. My name is Lance Marshall. This is The Gathering. Uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us here today. Uh, I, I want to be honest. I, I did, I did want to take a break away from uh, some regularly scheduled programming uh, to talk a little bit about what happened uh, last Sunday. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I went to school on April 20th, uh, or April 20th, I guess, no, it was April 20th, and heard out loud uh, the news of the day of what had happened in Columbine High School in Colorado as I was a fellow high school student. Uh, and from that moment on, uh, for my entire life, I have lived with the understanding that the kind of places to which I go, uh, that the kind of communities in which I find myself, uh, that the kind of rooms in which I myself frequent, uh, acts of violence and anger and terror and evil uh, do occur. I've known that ever since. Uh, attacks have happened in famous landmarks, which I myself have visited, my family has visited, uh, in cities in which I go, the kind of places I go, like schools and malls, universities, uh, these kind of things happen. And yet I don't want to pretend for one second that what happened last Sunday uh, in Sutherland Springs, Texas, was the same. That's not the same. I'm gonna, let's be honest. Let's, let's acknowledge what happened. That was a house of worship, uh, a house of people who come to proclaim the greatness of God, the presence of God, the goodness of God, the steadfastness of God, who come to lay on that altar their troubles, their fears, their angers, their hopes, their dreams. Uh, and in that place, uh, a man beset by sin and evil and illness uh, ended the lives of 26 people, innocents, from the elderly to the unborn. Uh, to pretend that that is just another tragedy and a long litany of tragedies is to undersell what really happened. What happened uh, was emotionally devastating for all people. Um, what happened was uh, another source of anger and frustration and division for all people, but what happened was also incredibly theologically difficult for members of the body of Christ. What happened is extremely theologically difficult for people who place their faith in God. What happened is extremely difficult and upsetting and angering for people who proclaim, this is the rock on which I will build my life. And, and to see similar lives torn asunder uh, in such a sacred and hope-filled place uh, is truly, truly, truly awful. So uh, I wanted to acknowledge that. I specifically want to acknowledge it for some of you who have a leadership role uh, in the lives of young people or non-Christians or other people who may have uh, some theological reflections on this place, right? Like, what, what it is, what do we do? Because this isn't just another tragedy, right? This isn't just another piece of violence. This isn't just another terrible thing. This is a terrible thing that happened in the very heart that is a deep affront to who God is and what God is all about, right? So what do we say about this? So uh, the first thing that I want to acknowledge is a reminder that we are not a new people. Christians are not a new people, uh, we are a very, very uh, significant portion of a long line of the people who worship the one true God, right? For generation upon generation upon generation, uh, our people have experienced what we experience, and their stories, their testimony, their written scripture guides us and leads us to understand what it is to be faithful in the face of tragedy, right? And this very desolation of what is holiest and most sacred to us, uh, this is not the first time this has ever happened, in 1 Samuel 4, uh, for example, there's this episode when the, uh, the people of Israel 
are, are going into the, uh, the area occupied by the Philistines, right? Been, they've been sent by God into this holy land. These other people are there. They're having these armed conflicts. And in the middle of, the, of their camp, in the middle of their army, they carry a totem of who they are and what they're all about. They carry the very Ark of the Covenant. Inside of that Ark uh, is the presence of the Ten Commandments, the very, the very seal of who they are as a people. Inside of that Ark are, is the manna that helped them to survive in the wilderness. And atop of that Ark are carved cherubim, and there sits the mercy seat, the very home of God, where God, God's self, dwells amongst them. They carry that Ark of the Covenant amongst them into battle, and it is taken. They lose it. They lose the Ark of the Covenant to a foreign people. The very home and seat of God in their midst, the very seal that God is real, and God is true, and God is present, and God is with them, is taken away from them. What is holy, and what is sacred, and what is good is ripped from their hands. About 600 years later, the people of Israel occupied this chosen land. They are a chosen people. This was promised to them. This was given to them. They're surrounded, beset on all sides by foreign people, foreign rulers, foreign adversaries, but they understand they are the followers of the one true God, and the one true God has given us this, our land, our promise, our inheritance, the very recognition of God's presence and truth is who we are and where we are, and they lose it. They lose Israel and Judah, their very homeland. We are the chosen people. This is our promised land, and they lose it. What is sacred, what is the evidence of God's presence and God's truth is ripped from them. 500 years later, again, we suffer an experience uh, called the abomination that causes desolation. The very home of God, the holy of holies, the very place where God sits, the very place where only the most sacred rulers uh, or the sacred priests in the culture of Israel, the very home of what it is to be a faithful person, the very presence of God is invaded by foreign peoples. Foreign peoples rush in, led by Antiochus, Epiphanes, uh, foreign Greek rulers. Um, they come into that place and they put uh, a bomb in, oh no, abomination desolation. There we go. I can't talk and write that one. That one's too close. The abomination that causes desolation, the very altar, the very home of where it is that God dwells is invaded by a foreign army and on its place a slaughtered pig and an evidence in, an, uh, in a bust of Antiochus Epiphanes, this foreign Greek ruler who says, that is not God. I am the God is placed in its stead. Uh, multiple generations later, in uh, 66 AD, the temple, the very home of God, the very center of the chosen people, the very root of the Jewish identity is destroyed forever. On uh, November 5th, last Sunday, someone walked into the very sanctuary, the very sacred place, the very home of Christian people, just like this one, and desecrated it with their anger and with their violence and with their sin, and with their death. One of the things that we are called to remember in the midst of our anger is that this has happened before. This has happened before. This has happened before to the people, to our people. This has happened before. And in this moment, 
when this fighting tribe, following the evidence of their God, loses their ark, their obvious question back to God was, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you act? When the people of Israel lose their holy land, their promised land, the very seat of who they are, their obvious question back to God is, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you act? Again, with the abomination that causes desolation, the very invasion of the temple, again, with the final and complete destruction of the temple. If you are God, if you are real, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you act? Why would you let yourself, why would you let yourself, the very symbol of you and your truth and your power and your presence be so violated and so desecrated? Why did you not act? And when we ask that question, what we're really asking is why did you not act like I would have? Why did you not act in the way I want you to? Why did you not act in the way that I prefer? What I want to remind you, in the wake of the presence of what happened in all of these situations, in the wake of what has happened in church communities for thousands of years, in the wake of what happened in Sutherland Springs seven days ago from right now, is that God did act. God has acted, and God is acting. And the way to see God's actions is in the cross. The way to see how God handles these abominations, these episodes of violence, sin, death, and evil, the way that God handles these very affronts to God's nature, God's character, and who God is all about is seen in the cross. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. If you have the red Bible in the back, that's in page 861. So remember uh, that Romans is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a community in Rome, right? Hence the name, a relatively new community, probably about one-fifth the size of the gathering this morning, by the way. Paul is writing to this new community, and what is key for them to understand, he says, is what God has done in the cross of Christ. What God did through Jesus, what God said through the crucifixion and the resurrection, what God has asserted in what happened in the life in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read just a portion of this a few weeks ago when we were talking about accessing uh, God's grace and God's favor through faith. So we're going to read that, and then we're going to continue on to this next portion. Hear these words. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, meaning Jesus' faithfulness to the cross, combined with our faith, meaning our following Jesus completely, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory, but not only that. We even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. That's where we ended a couple weeks ago, but hear where it continues. While we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So now that we have been made, made righteous by his blood, we can be even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. If we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, while we were still enemies, now that we have been reconciled, how much more certain is it that we will be saved by his life? And not only that, we even take pride in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we now have a restored relationship with God. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. What God does uh, in the cross, what God does through Christ on the cross is not just a symbol. It's a breaking open. It's a pouring out. It's a taking on. There is a problem in the world, and the problem is sinfulness and evil and violence and hate and destruction and sin, and God takes that on, receives it upon God's self, and destroys it through the blood of the cross. When we talk about sin, so often we just think about it internally, right? Just me, my sin, uh, my greed, uh, my pride, uh, my anger. When we think about sin, we often so much just limit it to our sin, right? Individual. One of the things I need you to think about when we also talk about sin is our corporate sin, right? Our community sin, our universal sin, the things that aren't blam- to blame for just one, uh, uh, just one person but exist in our world together, right? Uh, our sinful ignoring of the people that are the most lost and oppressed. Uh, our sinful systems that let some achieve and others be left behind. Uh, our sinful actions that make this world not an equal and just place, not like it someday will be in every way. We talk about our individual sins that Christ took on through the cross. We talk about our communal sins as a, uni- as a universe of people that are harder to encounter, but we so seldom talk about what Christ did for the sinned against. Our sins have hurt other people. When there is sinfulness, there is also the sinned against. When we talk about our sins of pride, our sins of pride hurt other people, take things away from other people. When we talk about our sins of greed, they hurt other people, they take away from other people. Each and every person in this room to some degree, was sinned against by the actions in Sutherland Springs. Your very faith, your very hope, your very assertion, each and every one of us, the very fabric of humanity, was sinned against by the evil in that place. For 2,000 years, the people who live in hopelessness, the people who live in fear, the people who live in doubt, the people who have been made to feel that their own homes that their own schools, that their own lives, that their own churches are no longer safe. The people who have been made to fear and to hate have found presence and power and hope in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is God's being sinned against by humanity, is God being betrayed, is God receiving violence, is God being hurt. The cross of Christ is proof that no matter how much we fear, no matter how much we weep, no matter how much we mourn, God has been there too. And the resurrection is the promise that that is not the end. 
that sin does not win, that evil does not prevail, that the bullets and the fires and the floods are final throws in a world that will be changed. We want to ask, God, why did you not act last Sunday? God has acted. God has acted. And God's way wins now and forever. Please pray with me. Loving God, we are the community, the body of Christ. And as we come together and worship today, we do so mourning the loss of our brothers and sisters who gather in a sanctuary in our home state, who gather in a church like ours, with families like ours, with friends like ours, with children like ours, with parents like ours. God, for the people who were sinned against, there and everywhere, we remember that your cross is the final answer to the ultimate problem. God, in the blood of Christ, we find hope, we find redemption, we find reconciliation, and we find the promise that no matter what is put on the table, that you will always, always, always answer with life. God, we mourn for the loss of our brothers and sisters here on earth and for the community that grieve and mourn them. And we celebrate for their ultimate ascension into heaven, their seats alongside you, and their ultimate celebration. God, help us to understand, help us to move forward, and help us to model our lives in the example of your son, the perfect example of your will and your way, as we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.